Hello, uh, I'm Andrew Guile, a solicitor and a director here at GN Law, and I am with... Emily Cowles, I'm a solicitor in the Police Actions Department. Now today we're going to look at malicious prosecution, but we're going to look at a very specific part of malicious prosecution cases, which is who in fact is the prosecutor. Um, in this country, we essentially have the Crown Prosecution Service, who by their very definition are the prosecutors. And therefore, when you bring a claim against the police, alleging that the police have maliciously prosecuted you, you do actually have to jump through some specific um, tests and pass through some tests before you can actually get away from the base position, which is that the prosecutor is the Crown and well, not the police yeah, exactly. or an individual. With the CPS being that default position yeah. of the prosecutor. So that's what we're going to look at today. I mean, yes. the, the, the test for malicious prosecution, um, as people watching this video might well be aware, is that you have to prove firstly that you've been prosecuted, so you actually have to be um, charged and taken to court. Um, you must have um, had the prosecution determined in your favour, so you either have been acquitted or the criminal proceedings have stopped at some point. Um, the prosecution must have been brought without reasonable and probable cause, there must have been um, malice uh, behind it, and you must have suffered some loss or damage. So that's the five-part test. Well, exactly. But it's still behind that. You've still got this question of who is the prosecutor. Well, exactly. That's literally element one. Um, finding out who, who your actual defendant's going to be. Who are you suing? Because mm. by nature, you could easily assume oh, it's the police who prosecuted me and actually it's the CPS and you, you've gone all the way to court and then yeah. first thing that happens is you lose element one and that's it, case over. You've sued the wrong party, costs are against you. Um, it's a question that has to be thought about quite, quite considerably given there is a lot of case law. We're not going to go into all of it. Um, we're only going to mention two or three at most where actually that decision is discussed in regards to who is the prosecutor, was it the private individual, was it the CPS, was it the police? Yeah. And the general discussion we'll have is about whether that individual had the ability to have or, or make an independent judgment about the charges that they are considering. Um, so looking first at, I suppose, one of the cases we're looking at is Martin v Watson. It's, it's an old case. It's, it's not new by any means, but it's often still spoken about purely looking at the sort of individuality side of things yeah. rather than the CPS. It's got facts which have, I'm sure, happened again and again, time immemorial, neighbour dispute. One neighbour makes an allegation of it against another. Uh, the the neighbour is prosecuted, they go to court, they're found not guilty, and then that neighbour decides, well, I'm going to bring a malicious prosecution claim against my neighbour for, for making up lies, effectively. Yeah, it's a common um, scenario. Exactly. So it's not one where you've got nuanced facts, ones which are incredibly rare. It's something that can happen time and time again between between individuals. Uh, and in the end, um, he does lose, on the partly on the basis that his neighbour isn't the prosecutor. Now, there are other remedies you can bring against people, malicious statement and those sorts of mm. libel-style matters, which we don't directly deal with. You need to see, obviously, a, a separate lawyer for that. But 
there are remedies that exist, but malicious prosecution, ultimately, you're looking at the police or the CPS primarily. Um, and it's about when the police obtained the report from the neighbour, should that police officer just assume it's true or does he still have the ability to, uh, and when he then gives it, of course, to the CPS afterwards, but they do have the ability to make that independent judgment. Do I think the report is credible in of itself? Now, I'm not suggesting that means police should scrutinise all reports that they get in, in entire depth because there are serious types of crimes where actually you've got to be very careful, especially when you're, you're dealing with rape. Victims find it very difficult to come to the police in the first place. Uh, historical abuse, again, similar, and we've seen, especially over the last sort of few years where some of these cases have come to light, actually, you know, when they were first investigated, the, the victims themselves have felt like the allegations are against them first to prove their case. And, and that can discourage people from making reports in the first place. So there is definitely a balance to be had, um, both for the person who's having the allegation against them, but of course, you know, the right will, will try and encourage people to report crime. Um, but yes, at some point, the police will gather the information, gather the evidence, and then they will submit a package, effectively, a bundle or, or whatever it might be, to the CPS. And it's uh, and dealing with a case you've been dealing with recently, of course, that's still yeah. subject of appeal. It's about what did the police give the CPS everything that the police had? Uh, did the CPS have the ability to make an independent judgment based on all the evidence, good and bad, I think that's the key issue, isn't it? I mean, in, 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 in the case of, I've recently been involved in um, recent violence against the police and, and in Martin and Watson, whether you're talking about trying to deem that the police are the prosecutor or whether or not you're trying to say that you should be able to bring a malicious prosecution claim against a private individual, the test is essentially the same. Yes. What you have to show is that the... CPS barrister, someone physically sitting down to take a decision on the basis of the evidence and saying, well, uh, am I going to charge this person with whatever crime it might be? Um, and in Martin and Watson, it was just one person's word against another. So the view in essence in that case was that the only evidence that the CPS or the police investigating the case, who then passed the, the paperwork onto the CPS, or back in 1996 when this case was, it probably would have been the police actually deciding on charging rather than the CPS. Um, they have to be incapable of taking an independent judgment on that, on that evidence. Exactly, that incapability word is important because um, it, it's literally that the words they use in a lot of these judgments is impossible and which is basically the same as in Hegel, where no matter what they do, they, they just couldn't. They just couldn't have an independent judgment because there's some material fact, some material piece of evidence, whatever it might be, either missing, so that whatever decision they came to, it was going to be flawed. Mm. Um, and looking at that fine case, the one you've been dealing with, of course, sure. that's the issue with this DCS cook. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the, what what was going on in 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 in, in recent Vine was that the case there was saying 
or trying to establish that the prosecutor was in fact the police. And the allegation being brought, um, which was not disputed in part, was that the um, DCS Cook, who was in charge of the investigation, had manipulated uh, witnesses. Just and for our audience, DCS, he's top, top officer. Yeah, detective chief superintendent. The allegation was that he had manipulated evidence and um, uh, manipulated some witnesses, uh, one witness in, in particular, in the case into giving evidence that wasn't true and that he knew or ought to have known wasn't true. Um, and in doing so, he pulled the wool over the eyes of the CPS who were assessing this partly concocted case that he had put before. So they're assuming this is, it's followed procedures, yeah. we've got it. And so uh, we were saying, well, they haven't been able to exercise independent judgment over this because how can you in circumstances where you don't understand the full picture of how um, one of these particular supergrass evidence, uh, supergrass witnesses had given his evidence and, and had come to give the statement that he gave. Um, and although in the High Court, the judge looking dealing with our claim for compensation found that that supergrass witness who had claimed to have been at the, the, the scene uh, of the crime just simply wasn't there. He concluded that he wasn't there. Right. Um, That's... And, and, and that his claim that he was there was clearly a lie um, and, that, uh, and that Cook had led him uh, to, to come to, 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 that, to that conclusion and to give that evidence. Um, so fairly serious, you would have thought, but nevertheless, the case is unsuccessful and is currently going on appeal on, on, on the, the, the way in which um, the High Court judge came to that conclusion. And it's, uh, it's far too complicated to, to go into it. We just want to scratch the surface here rather than... And we can do a separate video in, in the depth. future when we've got some uh, further sure. information. But it's really a question of can the CPS, as, as it stands at the moment, can the CPS exercise an independent judgment I mean let, let me give you an, an example let me yes. give you an example if, if I um, walk into a, there's, a, there's an open cupboard in the kitchen I walk into the open cupboard I, I smack my eye I cut my eye here and I'm bleeding if I go straight down the police station and say that you Luke Cowles punched me in the face or hit me with some, some blunt instrument the police have got a choice they can either say, oh, Mr. Guile, you're, you're just a liar, get out of our police station. Mm. Um, but unless they've got a good reason to disbelieve me or, or, or um, to suspect me of lying or of being deluded or in some way mentally unwell or something like that, they've got little choice but to, to come and arrest you. Well, it, exactly, you they have a duty an to investigate. Yeah. But if that, if that matter then proceeds and there are no witnesses, so there's no independent evidence over and above my statement that says so you did it. You're the one who independently ex or exclusively knows this information yeah. that you're lying. I, I know that I'm lying. I know that it's untrue. And I know that the police have got no independent evidence beyond mine that establishes whether or not, positively or negatively, you assaulted me. Now, if I then go in the box and give evidence and give a statement and, and pursue that prosecution, mm -hmm. I am without a shadow of a doubt the prosecutor for legal purposes. Yes. Because I know I'm lying. And that was your objective as well. My objective is to get you prosecuted. I intend for you to be prosecuted. I'm definitely being malicious, malicious because I know that you're lying. Um, and in those, in those circumstances, I am the prosecutor. The yes. CPS cannot form an independent judgment other than do they believe me or, or, or not? Is there any yes. reason to disbelieve me? And if there isn't, 
And, and usually, then you on average, you would say there is an onus on police to positively believe people making crime reports rather than taking the other approach where, you know, they're treated with sort of a, an arm's length distance from the, from the outset. Because, like you said, you come in, there's no actual reason why they shouldn't believe you. And so that is the default position. You've said this has happened. Yeah. And until otherwise, we're going to investigate on that basis. Yeah. I mean, one of the examples you gave earlier was this potential tension that, that this, this situation can create in, in that I'm sure as a matter of policy, we as the public and, um, and the police in general do not want people fearing malicious prosecution claims against them. Yeah. Um, and as a result, then not reporting crime, like allegations of rape, because domestic you're, violence. you're thinking, I'll report it, but there's not, there might not be enough evidence. The guy gets found not guilty... Um, and then comes for me and that doesn't necessarily mean the person who made the report actually lied because mm. being found not guilty doesn't mean that equally the complainant has been found guilty of lying that they're different no, decisions no no of course not no you, you, you can't jump from an acquittal to, to saying well I've been maliciously prosecuted um, you might like to and it might be possible but one simply does not automatically flow from the other yes. um, because to be found not guilty of course a court has formed the conclusion that they cannot find you guilty beyond reasonable doubt so if, if so beyond surety of evidence yeah, isn't there if beyond reasonable doubt is 80-90% certain what they're saying is that the evidence wasn't good enough to get you over 90 to 91%. Yeah. It might have been up to 89%. They might have been pretty darn sure, but not sure beyond reasonable. And again, a lot of this is going to come down to a jury's decision as well in, in many criminal yeah. cases where you've got more than one individual making that decision, which can be quite important in terms of justice. Yeah. Again, of course, if you do have issues where you think actually the prosecution was brought and the evidence is something rubbish, let's say, 5%, 10%, if that come to us, speak to us. Yeah. I mean, what, one, one thing that, that um, some viewers of the, this video might find uh, interesting is that, you know, throughout the 20 years or more that I've been doing police actions, this, this situation with malicious prosecution has changed. Yeah. Because if you go back into the, the early 2000s and certainly back into the 90s when Martin and Watson was decided, it was the, the, the police taking charging decisions. Yeah. Um, and if you go back a bit further, police wouldn't just do the uh, charging, they would actually do the prosecuting before we had the Grand Prosecution Service. So in the last you know, 30, 40 years, we, we've had quite a shift in that you know, you've got police officers arresting, charging and doing the prosecuting to then having the Crown Prosecution Service. Yeah. And then the Crown Prosecution Service, by and large, if not exclusively, taking charging decisions away from the police. And so it has become progressively more and more difficult well, exactly. to, to sue for malicious prosecution and because, just because you can't sue the CPS. One of the sort of final thoughts in terms of what we deal with, a lot of what we deal with, is, is situations where we will sue the police as the prosecutor on the basis that we are saying the officers have manipulated evidence or, or have sure. false witness evidence. Yeah, and so we're saying the package they gave to the CPS was full of section 9 witness statements but those section 9 witness statements are lies yeah and so we're not you know by nature the cps can't independently make a judgment because they've obtained witness statements from the police officers mm. and we are then saying the police officers exclusively know 
that not to be true. Yeah. I mean, a classic a classic example there is, is is allegations of assaulting a police officer in the course of his duty. I mean, this is one of the classic cases that we have. Um, and sometimes, you know, there can be a circumstance where someone is arrested and um, the person in question comes away with injuries and the police position will be, well, you resisted arrest and I had to use more force, you know, uh, uh, extra force in order to increase the force I was using in order to arrest you because you were being difficult, because you were resisting me, you wouldn't bring your arms behind your back or, or you assaulted me, you kicked at me, you tried to headbutt me, you spat at me or whatever it might be. Um, and as a result, they say that any injuries that you came by were your fault because of your behaviour. Yeah. And police officers can use reasonable force to arrest somebody such that if you resist arrest, they are entitled and can use more force to arrest you. And that, ex uh, that extra force might see you being injured. Um, but the argument is you wouldn't have been injured had you just, uh, had you, just you know, gave in and allowed yourself to be arrested and handcuffed. And so what, what can sometimes happen at least this is, this is the situation from our point of view and the client perspective is that sometimes police officers will accuse your client, the clients of um, assaulting them when it didn't happen in order to justify or attempt to justify the increased, the use, increased of use of force that they used. So let's, let's be plain, we are saying that there was no justification for the use of force and I've had plenty of cases over the years where um, officers are reported to have said stop resisting, stop resisting and the person isn't resisting at all. Um, that you know, they're saying it's just you know, words, but not actually relating yeah. to an action that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are numerous witnesses saying he was just lying still, and the officers shouting, "Stop resisting! Stop resisting!" Because um, they're trying to tee up uh, later, later on, justifying um, using uh, uh, excessive force. And so, in those cases, we say the officers are lying about, and that's what will be entered into their the, the statement. Yeah. And that's what they will then submit to the CPS, yeah. knowing that actually the package that they're given to the CPS it contains lies. Yes, and so exactly. it's, again, it's them as police officers manufacturing an account to justify the force that they use and to try and explain why they've caused injury um, in circumstances where that use of force was unlawful. They've lied about what's happened deliberately to get the person prosecuted, um, and although. Slightly off topic, but if we're going to mention this type of case, I think it's important to round it off. Um, one of the most important aspects of this is that if your client is um, actually prosecuted and convicted of, of assaulting a police officer in the course of his duty, they cannot then later sue for their own injuries. It, 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 it's, it's an absolute no-no. You simply can't do it. Um, so in those cases, it not only gets someone prosecuted, but it also protects the officer from being sued. Um, and that is often, we suspect, the motivator um, for, for that embellishment of their accounts or, or, or for lying about exactly what happened to try and justify the use of force. Um, so in that, in that circumstance, to bring this back to malicious prosecution, you clearly have a circumstance where police officers are trying to manipulate evidence to pull the wool over the and they CPS's will be eyes. declared the prosecutor, yes, yeah. that's our argument. And and that's, then they, that's right. They become the prosecutor because the CPS can't form an independent judgment beyond the, you know, the, 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 the package, the case that the officers have put to them. Exactly, say, this because is what it's about. the officers would almost, for it to be the CPS in that situation, the officers would almost have to submit the package and write a note to them saying, by the way, our accounts are liars, now form your independent judgment. That's not going to plainly yeah. happen. So, I mean, it, this, uh, malicious prosecution can be 
very complicated yes. area. I mean, in some cases, it doesn't arise. It's not really a problem. If, you, if you're suing the police for saying, for alleging that your client assaulted them when they didn't, and you say that their statements that they put in for the criminal prosecutions are false, and you bring a claim for malicious prosecution, it simply won't arise. The, the police won't raise it as an issue. But then you get other cases um, where it, it is a very real hot topic and, and you, it is a hurdle, a real hurdle that you have to get over because the police say, well, we weren't the prosecutor. Yes. There was all this independent evidence over and above the evidence of the officers or whatever that, that did allow the CPS to take an independent judgment. Um, and again, we haven't looked at the other key factors within a malicious prosecution claim because that's... No. They are all huge topics in them, in of themselves. Yeah. Um, but just looking at the general ideas behind getting the right defendant from from the outset, really. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly you know if you're looking at this type of case, or if you have a, if you're the victim of this type of case, it's very important that you do sue the right prosecutor and that you at least um, address in your mind the question of who is the correct prosecutor. Um, is it the police? Is it a private individual? Or are you looking at a situation where you know it is the CPS and therefore, in effect, you don't have a claim for malicious prosecution because the CPS did did in, did um, exercise an independent judgment over whether or not you were charged. Whether you like the decision or not, exactly, is separate to whether that is necessarily malicious. Yeah. Well, we hope you found this video helpful. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please share it, uh, and you might find other videos on this site, uh, our, in, our in conversation videos and other individual videos that we've done. Uh, useful. Thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you.